Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word in your hand, and let's open to the Old Testament to the Psalms. And this morning our text, just three verses long, is the 134th Psalm, Psalm 134. So you remember that this Psalm is part of the 15 Psalms, collectively called the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms 123-134. And remember that Psalm 120, the first of the Psalms of Ascent, is set way off from Jerusalem. In fact, it goes like this. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshach, for I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. And we, we call the place where we worship sometimes a sanctuary because it's the place that we can come away from the world because oftentimes we do feel like that, that we're surrounded every day with those who don't love the Lord and so we desire to worship Him with God's people. And so three times a year, God's people, the Israelites, would travel from wherever they lived to Jerusalem, the holy city, to make sacrifices and to worship together. And as they traveled, these pilgrims, we believe, would sing these 15 psalms, the psalms of pilgrimage. The last of those psalms of ascent is the one we're going to read now, Psalm 134. The people have come to Jerusalem, they've worshiped, they've made their sacrifices, their hearts are full of praise and thanksgiving, but now it's time to turn and start the return journey. And this is what we read, Psalm 134. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. May the Lord add his blessing, the reading and hearing of his word. The title of the message today is The Night Watchman of the Lord. Now, as I was preparing this message in my study this week, I'll tell you, I, I really related to these verses. My brother was in town yesterday, and I was reminded upon seeing him that he and I are just a, a few years apart, and we attended college at the same time at Mississippi State University back in the 90s, and we were able to make it through school with the help of our parents but also by working some long hours. And we were both employed by the College of Veterinary Medicine as night watchmen. And he would work the 5 p.m. to midnight shift most nights, and then I would take over at midnight and work till 7 a.m. And you're probably wondering, when in the world did you ever go to class? Well, don't ask personal questions. But by the time I showed up for my shift at midnight, nearly everyone except my brother had gone home for the evening. And it was a huge building, and basically the duties of the night watchman were to walk the building twice a night and check all the external doors to make sure they were locked. And then the rest of the evening, you were behind a console with a telephone waiting for it to ring. And it hardly ever did that time of night, and so I had a lot of free time. And uh, it was during those years that the Lord really started to grow me spiritually. I had the opportunity to read the Bible through at that desk several times over those years. Made a lot of notes, listened to a lot of good sermons that uh, I had re recorded from other pastors. And I'm very thankful for those years. Not only because that job paid my way through college, 
but because those years helped prepare me to be a pastor. And that really is what this Psalm of Blessing is all about today, this 134th Psalm. Uh, it's a Psalm for those priests who are left behind to continue on after everyone else has gone home and gone to bed. Now the temple, like most places, public places, had regular hours of business in which the people would come, they would worship, they would offer their sacrifices with the assistance of the priest. But when the temple closed for the evening, there were priests whose job it was to keep the fires going and to guard the treasury of the Lord. You remember that people would bring their offerings of gold and silver and animals. And so someone had to be there to stand watch over those things. And, and that's where the title of the sermon came from, the night watchman of the Lord. It's a blessing for those who serve by night, according to verse 1, in the house of the Lord. It's only three verses long, and from it I want to, to make three points. The first thing we notice in verse 1 is the calling of the night watchman of the Lord. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, behold. Now the word behold in the Bible is a word that calls us to attention. We say sometimes, listen up, listen carefully. When we see the word behold, it's sometimes with an exclamation point. It's to arrest our attention and to focus on what's going to be said next. He says, listen up, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. Well, what does it mean to bless the Lord? We hear people saying that in passing sometimes. We read it in the Bible that God's people are to bless the Lord. But what does it mean? I sometimes hear people say, I bless the soul of my sainted mother. That's the highest thing you could say of her. So in a similar way, to bless God is to speak, think, and behave as if the Lord's glory is your highest aim. To speak, think, and behave as if the Lord's glory is your highest aim is what it means to bless the Lord. And you'll note that this call to bless the Lord is universal and unanimous in nature. He says, all God's servants bless the Lord. Now that is in keeping with other verses in the Bible, like Psalm 156 that says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you have a voice, you're to praise the Lord with it. Jesus said that even beyond that, the universe is to bless the Lord. Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus was entering Jerusalem, we call that his triumphal entry, he comes in on the foal of a donkey. And the people are singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're laying down their coats. They're cutting down palm branches, laying it before him. And the Pharisees became angry. It seems to be that the people are worshiping Jesus and they don't like that. And so they come to Jesus in private and say, make these people stop worshiping you. Make them stop praising you, Jesus. And you know what Jesus said to that? He says, if they don't praise me, these rocks are going to cry out. That is everything that God has created, he created for his glory. And if that's true about rocks, it's true about Christians, isn't it? That we are to be about the business of bringing glory to God. That's what it means to bless, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. But there's a specific subset of people that he's calling upon to bless the Lord. And he identifies them. He says, those who serve the Lord by night in the house of the Lord. Again, here is the title of the message, the night watchman of the Lord. The, the people are leaving. They've come up to Jerusalem. The festivals are over. Those the Lord has assigned to serve the night watch are lighting the fires and the windows. And the people are looking back and they're saying, 
I'm thankful that even though we're not going to be here, we're headed back to our farms and our villages and our places of trade, God is still going to be worshipped here on his Mount Zion. And the night watchmen of the Lord are those who serve the Lord when no one's there to even notice. Now the Bible is clear that all service to the Lord is valuable if it's done for his glory. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks through Jesus to God the Father. But we as humans tend to assign greater value and worth to certain ministries over others, not because it's biblical to do so, but because they're simply more noticeable than others. I was struck by this when I uh, moved to Fort Worth and enrolled in seminary 20 years ago. And over that three year period, as I talked to my peers there on campus, I noticed that very few of them desired or had an ambition to be night watchmen for the Lord. When you would ask most of them, what do you want to do when you graduate? They'd say, well, I want to be a professor at a seminary or a Christian college, or I, I want to pastor a, a mega church, or I want to be a conference speaker, or I want to write books for the Lord. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. We need those people. But rarely did I hear a person tell me that I want to serve the Lord in a place where no one will ever notice me. Few people, it seems, want to be night watchmen for the Lord, but it is a valuable, valuable ministry. And what I mean by that is, is those people whose service is done unto the Lord with little or no fanfare. Those who serve graciously with a quiet and a humble spirit, even through dark times. Those whose service enables others to serve in a more recognizable capacity. I thought of that early this morning. It's when I came in at seven o'clock and walked in here and the chairs were set up in perfect rows. The temperature was a perfect 72 degrees. The sound system was working perfectly. And I didn't imagine that that happened by magic. There were those who were night watchmen of the Lord who rendered that service and did it very well. And they're not going to be on stage today for anyone to, to clap for them. But it's valuable and important service. Our custodians, our IT and AV people, all of this is essential work. And, and I'm thoroughly convinced that the saints of God that will have the greatest rewards in heaven are the night watchmen of the Lord. People who faithfully serve for years behind the scenes with little or no credit given. I'm thinking about pastors and missionaries who, who are willing to go to the hardest and most out of the way places and spend their lives in the four corners of the earth in anonymity. People who, when they can no longer even get out of bed in the morning, continue to serve by lifting up others in intercessory prayer. I had an experience this week that I won't soon forget. I visited in the home of a, a young man in our church who was in a terrible accident some years back. He is no longer even able to get out of bed and hasn't been for many years. He's totally incapacitated physically. And he's been through some very difficult and dark moments through those years. But he has emerged with his faith intact. And in his bed, in their living room, he has a prayer ministry with a laptop computer. And people reach out to him daily and ask him to pray for them. And he has a, a gift of verbalizing and articulating very beautiful prayers that's encouraged many believers. And I thank the Lord for people like him who serve even though no one's around. But don't feel sorry for him. And don't feel sorry for those other people who serve without being noticed. Theirs is the greatest blessing ultimately. King David knew that. 
He knew what a privilege it was to serve the Lord in any capacity. And in Psalm 8410, he wrote, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. David said, I'd give up being the king. And really what it says in the Hebrew, I'd stand outside the threshold of the house of the Lord, which means he didn't feel himself worthy to even set foot in the worship place. But if God would allow him, he could stand outside the threshold of the door and peer over and listen in. He'd rather do that than have great notoriety among the wicked. And so this is the calling of those priests who served at night in the temple. They were the night watchmen of the Lord. They served when no one was there to notice but the Lord. Now, the second thing we notice here in verse two is their instruction. They had a specific calling to serve in that way, but they also were told how they were to serve. Verse two says, lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Even among the night watchmen, they had the need to be alert and busy at the task at hand. Now, I'll admit when I was a night watchman in college, it was sometimes very difficult at three in the morning to keep my eyes open. So sometimes I had to just stand up and walk around for a little while. And so that's kind of the, the indication here. Wake up, stand up, raise up, do your duty of praise to the Lord. Lift up your hands. Now the Hebrew there speaks of lifting up your hands in holiness, that is with clean hands. And it is vital and essential that God's people who are serving him, serve him with clean hands. And the only way we can do that is through quiet times of confession and repentance. One of the things that these people did as the people went back home is to continue the ministry of prayer, the work of intercession. In the New Testament context, the Apostle Paul says that believers today are to pray without ceasing. We have the duty to pray and intercede for one another. And that requires personal holiness. The scripture says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear our prayers. One of the great motivators or should be for personal holiness is the fact that your family, your children, your grandchildren, your friends and neighbors depend upon you to lift them up in prayer. Not only in prayer, but in praise to the Lord. The Lord never sleeps, does he? Scripture says he does not slumber, neither does he sleep. And so that means that the Lord is to be worshiped 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I often think that when I lay my head down to sleep at night, there are other Christians on the other side of the world that are getting up. And as I say my last prayer of the day of praise to the Lord, they're beginning their day with praise. And so the Lord is worshiped constantly as he deserves. Not only in praise and prayer, but also in labor. Again, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. We've all been in workplaces where there are certain workers who work very hard when the boss is around and do absolutely nothing or worse than nothing when the boss is not around. And so in Colossians 3, Christians are to do our work all the time heartily with enthusiasm as unto the Lord and not unto men, because we know the Lord is ultimately our great supervisor, and he is paying attention to what we do and what we don't do. And now we are talking this morning about being night watchmen for the Lord, serving him even when no one is around, no one is noticing but the Lord. 
But truthfully, the Bible indicates that this really is the purest form of Christian service. Now think about it. Those priests were to pray, they were to praise, and they were to work. That's really what we're to do as Christians. When we pray, Jesus taught us how to pray. He says, don't go out into public and stand up and make a big production out of it. He says, when you pray, go into your prayer closet and the Lord will hear your prayer in private. He says we're to praise him. Now certainly it's appropriate to gather with other Christians to praise, but that ought not be the only time you worship and praise him. I, I hope the, the hour that we spend in, in this room on Sunday isn't all the praising you're doing through the week. If it is, you're missing out on some great blessings. We have an intern here at the church this summer from Alaska. His name is Tyler Selfridge. He's with the young people at camp this week, so I'm going to talk about him. Tyler and I uh, share an office suite together, which means that most days there's only an open door between us. And so we communicate often throughout the day. And he often gives me a hard time that when I'm studying for my sermons, there'll be an hour of quietness and stillness. And then all of a sudden I'll just blurt out something that he doesn't recognize. And he said, one of the things I often blurt out is, well, glory. <laughs> he knows I, I've been blessed by something I've been studying when I say, well, glory. And none of you are old enough to remember, but uh, back in the old times, when I was little, the old time Baptists, when they got excited about something in the scripture or a point that the pastor made, they'd blurt out spontaneously, well, glory. Well, we need to say, well, glory. Sometimes when no one's around, we need to see a beautiful sunset that the Lord has created. We need to count our blessings one by one and just break out in spontaneous praise, not just when people are watching, but just as the overflow and the outflow of our heart. So there's prayer and praise that can be done in private, but also our labor, our labor. You know, the scripture says to don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I think there's any verse in the Bible that needs to be repeated among evangelical Christians today. It's that one. Now we know the Bible says that we're to do good works. Would you agree? The Bible says that your deeds so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. Yes, we should do our, our work and others will notice that naturally, but we shouldn't do our work to be noticed by others. That's what he means when he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. And can I really break that down into everyday English for us? Don't put every good deed you do on Facebook. <laughs> I know pastors that can't make a hospital visit without announcing it on Facebook. Do your work as unto the Lord and not unto men. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate when we do a good deed and we tell everyone about it, that is our reward. We shouldn't expect any heavenly rewards because the notice of men becomes our reward. And the Bible says we're not to be satisfied with that kind of reward. That's what it means when it says don't lay up treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal and moths destroy and rust corrupts, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We lay up treasures in heaven when we do our ministry as unto the Lord for his glory, not for others to notice. In fact, the brother of Jesus, James, has a very powerful verse in James 1.27 concerning this. He says this, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, 
to visit the orphans and the widows and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, I suppose it's possible to visit orphans and widows and draw attention to yourself, but in Jesus' day, that would have been very difficult because the orphans and widows were on the outskirts of society. They, they were not in, in the public eye. And so I think what James is saying is that when you serve those who don't have anything to return to you, that's what real Christian ministry is all about. And of course, it's not limited to widows and orphans, but all of our ministry is not to be done for the sake of drawing attention to ourselves, but ultimately for the praise and the glory of Christ. Now, I think there's one more important implication in verse 2 of our instructions to raise up hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And that is that our ministry, even if no one else sees it, is to be done with joy. We sing a song, don't we? Serve the Lord with gladness. We're not to serve like a bunch of Eeyores with a cloud over our head. You've met people like this and they're doing their ministry, they're expressing their gift, but they're not happy about it. It's drudgery to them. They're shuffling their feet and murmuring under their breath. And I said, even when no one sees it, but the truth is most of the time someone is observing you, whether you know it or not. And so when we have the opportunity, remember we're to bless the Lord. That is not only to think and do, but to speak those things that would bring glory to him. And so when someone asks you about your ministry, it is right and appropriate to bless the Lord, to tell others how wonderfully he is and what a joy it is to have even a small part in his kingdom. And so that's the calling of these night watchmen. And, and they had a specific instruction to serve the Lord at night and to lift up their hands in the sanctuary and Bless the Lord. But, but then in verse 3, it kind of shifts gears. And there's a benediction. A benediction is a pronounced blessing. I enjoy, as pastor, pronouncing a benediction, a blessing over this church family from time to time. The original biblical benediction is found in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 specifically says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, Aaron was Moses' brother through whom the Levitical priestly line was established. So he's talking to the priest. And he says, tell the priest to say this to the people. This is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, quote, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, end quote. You've probably all heard that sort of benediction said over you, or at least some rendition of it. I can imagine again, as the people are starting to make their way out of the holy city, they're trickling through the various gates of the temple. They're making their way down the switchbacks, down into the valley. The priests are lighting the fires in the windows and they're watching the people. And all the while they're saying this blessing over the people. May the Lord bless you from Zion. He who made heaven and earth. Now some say, well, this is a blessing the people said to the night watchman. I think it's more likely it's a blessing that the night watchman said over the people. Because Zion is that mountain upon which the temple was built. You remember it. To them, the Israelites, it was a symbol of God's presence and protection. 
And really what they're saying to the people as they're heading back home, don't worry, we're going to keep worshiping the Lord while you're at work. While you're in the field, while you're making ceramic pottery, while you're baking bread, we're going to continue on worshiping the Lord until you have the occasion to come back to the temple and worship again with us. He says, may the Lord bless you from Zion, that is from his holy hill. Now, what reason do the people have to hope that the Lord will bless them from Zion? Well, remember when the temple was dedicated, we saw last week, Solomon said and reminded the people that the Lord could not be contained in a building made with human hands. Solomon's father, David, said, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. God was going to be with them wherever they went. But the priests wanted to remind them that they were going to be praying for them and God's blessing on them until they returned at the next religious festival. And they give them the reason why they can have confidence in those prayers. In the very last phrase of verse 3, he says, May the Lord bless you from Zion, comma, He who made heaven and earth. Now you have to think with me a little bit to see what their thinking is here. He's saying because of God's ability and capacity to create the universe by his word, you can rest assured that he can bless you even though you're far away from the holy city. He made heaven and earth, didn't he? That's one of the great manifestations of God's power. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things which are invisible. Theologians call this ex nihilo creation, out of nothingness. When God created the heaven and the earth, he didn't go down to the Home Depot and put together a materials list. He spoke the word and things that heretofore had not existed came into existence. He's the only one that can do that, would you agree? Now, sometimes we talk about creative people. I often bemoan the fact that God didn't make me very creative. And I appreciate those who are more creative. But the truth is, God is the only one who truly creates. What creative people do, they take the material things that God created by his word and they rearrange them in interesting and artistic ways. Now, you take music, for example. We enjoyed some beautiful music here this morning. We all admire those who can play an instrument well or even more, those who can write a score. But all they're doing are taking musical notes and tones that God created and rearranging them in a way that's winsome and artistic. The same thing is true for architecture. The architects and the builders who, who build the most beautiful and interesting structures in the world are just taking the materials that God created by his word and arranging them in a beautiful way. And so when he says you can trust that when we pray for you that God has the capacity and ability to do that, because he had the capacity and the ability to speak the universe into existence. And so we today can trust in the Lord's ability to bless his people. Even when we're serving in out of the way places where no one else even notices it. But there's one final point I want to make and it's really implied more than said. And that is one of the greatest acts of service in the church performed by the Lord's night watchman is the service of encouragement. That's really what these night watchmen, these priests were doing as the people were exiting the various gates of the temple, as they were lighting 
the, the lamps. As they were watching the people wind their way down out of Jerusalem, they were pronouncing this blessing on them to encourage them. Don't you love people who encourage you? We all need encouragement. The scripture says that we're to encourage one another to works of service and goodness. It's one of the reasons that we come together to church regularly, isn't it? To encourage one another on in the faith. I'm encouraged week by week as I look out and see you in the congregation. I've often said, I think one of the most underrated and undervalued characters in all the Bible is the New Testament believer named Barnabas. Barnabas' nickname was the son of encouragement. And, and I get the picture that every time you had a conversation with Barnabas, you came away encouraged in the faith. Don't you want to be one of those people who's a Barnabas rather than an Eeyore? We all know people when we are, are down and discouraged in our life and in our ministry that we go to, not because they have any great word of wisdom, but that we know that when we spend some time with them, we're going to come away encouraged. And on the other hand, we also know people that we wouldn't come within 20 feet of when we're discouraged because they're going to add fuel to the fire. And these night watchmen of the Lord were anything but discouragers. They wanted to send the people out with their last thought that the Lord is for me. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. The ministry of encouragement is not a one-time act of benevolence. The ministry of encouragement is like the air we breathe. We do it over and over and over until we die or the Lord calls us home because we need constantly to be built up in the faith. And I hope that you've been encouraged by this little three verse Psalm, Psalm 134. Because uh, there are some of you who have been called to and you have chosen to serve the Lord as night watchmen. And may the Lord bless you. Your ministry is as valuable and as vital as mine or any other ministry of the church because all of us are nothing but servants of the Lord. Look at verse one again. He says, behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. Now there are servants who serve in different capacities. The apostle Paul was an apostle and in our humanity, we would probably hold up the apostles as right up here at the top. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when Paul was describing the ministry of apostles, he says, if you want to think of us, think of us in two ways. One, as stewards of the ministries of the gospel. A steward was a manager who didn't own any property of his own, but managed the property of another. And then he says this, as servants, really the word is slaves of the Lord. And it, it was a very specific word that he used there in 1 Corinthians 4. It was not the highest household slave who was the right-hand man of the owner. It was the third tier under rower in a Roman ship, the lowest slave of the low. He was chained to an oar and all he did was pull an oar while someone beat time on a drum. Paul says that's, that's who he was. But the truth is that all service that is rendered in the name of the Lord and for his glory is service that he rewards. And so I want to encourage those of you who 
work in the nursing home ministry, those who work in the nursery, those of you who have a prayer ministry that no one knows about, those of you who write cards and send them to those that you know need a word. Lord bless you. Your ministry is vital and important. And so for the next four Sundays, we're going to talk together about service. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about serving with your gifts. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift to be used for the Lord's glory. And the next week, we're going to talk about the attitude in which we are to serve, and that is with humility. And then on the third Sunday, Brother Tony is going to teach us about how to serve the underserved, those in our society who are on the margins, who need attention. And then uh, the fourth Sunday, we're going to talk about evangelism and how we can serve the lost with the gospel. And then that leads to August 18, Unify Sunday. We're going to come back together. You might have noticed we skipped over Psalm 133. And we did that with purpose because look up to what it says in verse 1 of Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And we're going to talk about that Sunday, how we come back together into one Sunday school hour, that it's good and blessed to serve together. Now let's go to the Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for some folks in this congregation who I would put in the category of night watchmen. They do their work not for attention of men. They do it with little notoriety or fanfare. They do it sometimes through dark days. They do it for your glory. And so Father, we are all as servants of the Lord to bless your name. And Father, we bless you when we speak, when we think and we act in a way that shows that we value your glory above everything else. Lord, help us all to do that. Forgive us, Lord, where we seek personal attention and recognition and fame, even in ministry. And Lord, we know when we serve in that attitude that we lose our reward. And Father, we don't want to lose our reward. We want to lay up treasures in heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so I, I thank you for every believer because you've gifted every one of us in some capacity. Father, one ministry is not important, more important than the other just because it's uh, more public. So Father, I pray that all of us would follow the instructions of Colossians, and that is to do our work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. I thank you for those priests who bless the people, who even while they were gone off to work in their fields and in their homes, Father, we're busy ministering to you even though no one was watching. They knew you were watching and Lord, we know that you see everything and know everything. Help us, Father, to be good and faithful stewards. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, Visit us online at fbckeller.org.